Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Always Forward podcast. And I've got, um, can we say retired, retired Navy SEAL, Jason Redman, um, who actually we spoke uh, years ago, back before the <laughs> what we were just talking about, before all this nonsense um, at an event together, right? Yeah. And yeah, back in, uh, where was it? was in Texas. It was, was in it, Texas. Uh, yeah. I don't remember where, Dallas? Yeah, I think it was the Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, for the uh, N22. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. So, anyways, we were talking about, you know, how things are kind of <laughs> opening back up and getting to travel again and, and speak and, and, and engage with other people, which is just great, man. Like, I, these, you know, given a, a talk on Zoom, to a bunch of people is just not the same as being in the same room with them and getting to like hear their stories and being able to like pour into them and serve them in, in the best way possible of what they need and how we, you know, using our experience to help them. Um, and anyways, so you're back at it. Yeah, man, like you said, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. And the message is needed more now than ever. I mean, people are struggling mentally, physically, emotionally. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's issues obviously with leadership. There's issues with resilience in our country. There's issues with, uh, an understanding of how do we bring people back together? You know, I think we got political parties that want to drive us as far yeah. apart as possible. So all those things, you know, obviously are great lessons we learned in the military and, uh, sharing them with people has been great and doing it in person is phenomenal. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and <laughs> when you're in the military and you have a, a leader you don't agree with, you can't just quit, you know, or, you know, being on a team with guy that you just don't agree with their, their, uh, points of view. It's not like you can just be like, well, I don't want to work here no more. You know, that's there. Yeah. You know, we, and so you, you bring up a good point that we have a unique capability or at least experience of like, Hey, we don't, we don't have to agree on the same things, but we do have to work together. For, the, for a common goal. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, you know, that doesn't necessarily transpire over to the, you know, the rest of the world. Um, so real quick, I mean, I obviously know you know your story. Um, but for the people that but for the people that don't, give me, give us the, you know, the wave top version of who is Jason Redman and, and, uh, and, and why you're so damn awesome. <laughs> uh, Jason Redman is a story of, uh, I don't know, it's the quintessential underdog story. You know, I am probably not what the average person thinks of when they think of a Navy SEAL or a Navy SEAL leader. Um, you know, I think they, they, you know, Hollywood probably would cast the SEAL leader as Jocko, you know, this great big <laughs> strapping, you know, yeah. Crow Magnum looking gruff dude who, yeah. you know, um, the captain Ameri and, and the, ca I'm, the captain america uh, of navy seals right <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and uh i love jocko man I've, I've known him most of my career but uh you know i wasn't that i was the you know i'm uh, i'm on the smaller end of the spectrum for seals my whole life i've been told you're not going to do this you're not going to do that yeah, you can't do yeah. this you know you're you're too small you're too this you're too immature you're too arrogant and my, my whole life i've been told the twos and, you know, just continue to overcome and, and excel in many areas, although there were a lot of failures along the way. And that's can't, really what you can't have one without the other, can you? Yeah, but I have a tendency to do things to the extreme. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going mean, to fail. I'm going to fail really good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I failed at such a level. I almost got myself kicked out of the SEAL teams from poor leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and thankfully I had some leaders who believed in me, who saw some potential and said, you know what, we can, we, we can shape this clay if he's willing. Yeah. And, and I was willing. And, and that really, that really became the, the, the essence of the book, the Trident. It was from that failure became a true appreciation and a journey of leadership, coming to understand what it is to be an effective leader, especially to lead people in combat. Um, and then of course, to be severely injured and coming to learn, you really can lead from any situation, including a hospital bed, which kind of is where the sign on the door came from and, uh, you know, continue to drive forward and to try to continue to lead, you know, finish my military career after, uh, 21 years was never able to get back operational, but, um, was able to contribute in a lot of different ways. And then now I'm out in the civilian world trying to teach individuals those same skills 
You know, how do you effectively lead an organization? Most importantly, how do you effectively lead yourself? Right. Which I think is the critical basis of everything. If you can effectively lead yourself, everything else will follow. Yeah, excellent. So you, so you, uh, you actually went through buds and and became good friends with uh, uh, Ray Cashcare. Ray and I went through buds together. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, he we was, uh, he, we were in the same boat crew. He was uh, he was at the same time he was throwing you under the bus or under the boat um, at buds, and then at the same time he said that I, he wouldn't have made it with <laughs> made it through buds without you. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I think the only thing tougher than SEAL training or bigger than the lore of SEAL training is Ray's ego. Yeah, <laughs> That's, I believe that. Uh, but he, we had, we had a great time come, when he came down, and uh, you know we're doing the Squire program down here on November fifth. With their crew. which is awesome man i, I mean, love that's... isn't that amazing what an, yeah. what an absolute amazing thing yeah um i mean it's just if you're a, a young man 12 to 16 it should just be like an american requirement that you have to go through that rite of passage because it just it, it makes such an impact on those young men and it gives them that permission to be a man or to start thinking like a man you know what I mean? Obviously. And then the connection with sons and dads yeah. in this program, I, yeah. I I love it, man. I love what Pedros has put together with that. I just, it's and, awesome. And I love the fact that he's getting it out there. Um, I think they're doing Ryan Mickler's here coming up soon. And yeah, then I know up in they're Maine. heading down. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Maine. And, uh, and then you just helped out with, uh, with the project. You were just a guest instructor on the project, right? I did, which it was really awesome to be able to go out there. And, uh, and you really can't appreciate how difficult the project is till you get out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It is a no joke. Um, it is a no joke program. Uh, it, as a matter of fact, if there's anybody out there that wants a true test, whether you, whether you aspire to special operations and you want a true test before you go, or you're like many of the guys you and I meet who fancy themselves. Oh yeah, I could make it through soft training. I All mean, right. a lot of guys will make sure. that statement. Yeah, go through the project and come <laughs> talk to me afterwards. If you can make it through that, I'll give you some respect and say, you know what, you may be able to because if you could make it through that, you've proven you got you've got a set of stones. There, there's something. There's enough there. I mean, obviously, you know that training gets a lot harder for a lot longer, right? There's a there's a longevity thing there that you have to you have to make it through. But if you make it through the 75 hours, you've at least got the thing. Correct. That you have the thing that that is needed to actually, you know, make it to the end. You're, you're able to throw that. You've proven you can throw the switch to yeah. endure the suck, the misery, and keep driving forward to accomplish whatever. And whatever obviously, you yeah. and I both know, you see it out there at the project. Once you learn how to throw that switch, yeah. There's really nothing that you can't accomplish. At that's that it. And that's, and that's one of the biggest things, right? Is getting people to learn that they have that, or at least teach them that, or get them to have that resilience. And then that way that, you know, Hey, you have this capability. doesn't matter what it is. It, you know, it could be a bakery. Your business could be a bakery, but if you have that thing, you're going to, you could be successful. Um, so you, when did you, so when did you go to buds or when did you join the Navy? I joined the Navy September 11th, 1992. So I was still in high school, signed up under the delayed entry program, obviously having no idea that that was going to be a, <laughs> right. such a monumental day. It was just any other day back then. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a, a senior in high school. All I ever wanted to do was join the military, figured out, I, I decided I, I wanted to be a SEAL probably a couple of years prior to that and um, kind of had a rambunctious Youth, the SEAL teams, um, or at least wanting to go down that path, definitely kept me out of any major trouble. I lived in a, a little town in the middle of Southern North Carolina with a whole a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Um, and and got myself kicked out of the house when I was seventeen. And uh, like I said, if it wasn't for the military and specifically special operation, which I knew if I got myself any kind of major trouble. I would not be able to get a clearance and it would stop right. me from going down that path. So it, for the most part, kept my nose clean. I had a couple of close calls. Some of the guys I was running with were starting to get into gang scene down in Southern North Carolina. Uh, but like I said, kept yeah. me out of trouble. My dad signed for me to join when I was 17. 
and uh, graduated from high school. Yeah. And headed straight off to boot like, camp. He, right he's like, you got to go. It's time for you to go be a man, a real man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So he was, he was an army, he was an army vet. And, um, and my whole family had been in the military. It's all I ever wanted to do from a young age. He, he, he definitely, he was the one that actually told me about the SEALs. He met SEALs in airborne school and told me about the program. Not a whole lot about it back in, you couldn't find much about it back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, but um, there was enough. Yeah. There was enough that it made me want to go. I knew enough that, Hey, hardest training in the military, a lot of, uh, uh, couldn't find a whole lot out the about it. The only thing I actually, remember was the the Charlie Sheen movie. That came out my I think that came out in 91 or 92. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so you 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 join and then which uh and then give me your live day. For those who don't know, that's that's the day that he he escaped death. Um so so how long how long did you serve before that before that transition started to happen? Yeah, so that happened in uh 2007. Okay. Um, so September 13, 2007 was when that occurred. Um, and it had been kind of an amazing journey. I was an enlisted seal. Um, did oh, that's right. I forgot about that. You were, you were actually enlisted prior to, um, prior to becoming commissioned. Right. Um, yeah. So one of very, one of very few, right. That actually stayed in. Uh, you mean how so as a as a as, and then as an officer no we have um we the seal teams recruit from within a lot really? um, okay yeah so we have a lot of ex-enlisted seals who become officers um we, we definitely encourage that program and i uh you know jocko was an ex-enlisted seal okay um as a matter of fact both of us did the same program although jocko you know, like me, I always like to take the hardest route. Uh, I, you know, if I'm going to screw up, I want to screw up majorly. So I uh, screwed up as a, as a young, um, as a young SEAL officer. You know, did, did excel, did well as a, as a SEAL enlisted. Um, you know, everything from, uh, you know, I walked point, I walked rear security, I was a communicator, I became an instructor at my SEAL team, uh, got picked up for the commissioning program, went off and did that got commissioned. The war was fully underway at that point when I came back. Um, you know, I, I, my, my ego was probably about the same size as Ray's at that point. Um, <laughs> when I was a young, uh, uh, seal officer, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was probably patent reincarnate Yeah, and, um, and really started stepping on my, my dick quite a bit and, uh, making mistakes. And instead of, taking a step back and humbling myself and saying, Hey, what, you know, you know what, um, the world had changed, uh, nine 11 had really changed the landscape of warfare. Uh, we very quickly learned in Iraq and Afghanistan, right. the way we were doing yeah. things in the past didn't work. Um, and I had grown up in a pre nine 11 military. So everything I had learned growing up suddenly had changed overnight while I was at school. I mean, so it, instead it, of humbling, it really changed, you know, from 2003 until to 2007 was a big change, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So coming back as a young officer who had this big ego, um, really made a lot of mistakes. And instead of humbling myself and saying, Hey guys, I don't know how to do this, which I think great leaders fully understand that you don't yeah. have to know everything. Uh, I was unwilling to accept that and really kind of started this downward slide. Uh, like many of us, sometimes when we're struggling, started self-medicating, which was only further eroding my credibility as a leader. And all of that culminated with a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan in 2005. Um, like I said, had some leadership who believed in me, who uh, said, hey, this guy's got potential. They sent me to Army Ranger School, went to Ranger School, learned a lot about myself and finally kind of humbled myself through some unique experiences and then came back for my second go as a uh, as a young leader, as a second platoon commander and then a mobility force commander, assault force commander on that Iraq deployment. So excelled. Everything was back on track. You know, we were winning. My career was back on track. And uh, on about a week prior to going home, uh, we launched on a mission to go after the number one leader for uh, 
Al Qaeda in the Anbar province, a guy we'd been tracking all deployment, really dangerous individual. Uh, in the fall of 2006, he had um, he ran sniper cells, ID cells, uh, hit cells. Uh, he had taken out a Marine Corps uh, helicopter, CH-46 helicopter, in the fall of 2006. All, all Thankfully, karma. it was all karma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it uh, they didn't have it only had the crew on board at the time, yeah. but it killed everybody on that helicopter. Yeah. Um, he had been responsible. He took out a fellow SEAL uh, in that same area in April of 2007, right at the very beginning of our deployment. Uh, Petty Officer Clark Swedler was killed mm-hmm. um, on the mission that uh, a lot of people have read Mike Day's book. It was on that mission. That was our turnover op. So, um, yeah, launched it, on that you, mission. It, and is it public home. who that person was? I don't remember. What the name was? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's public or not. He's been killed. No, I know. I'll be honest. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. And that was, uh, what was that village we used to, because you and I were there. I was there when that happened. Um, and I actually, we actually did a a patrol at that same house months later, um, and did a little, you know, knock and talk thing where that chicken, where we, where those guys had been shot up, where Mike and them had been shot up, where that ambush happened. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it was, uh, dang, I cannot remember the, it was right on the water, that little village, uh, right South of Fallujah. Anyways, um, that was where third recon and second recon patrolled m- majority of the time. Well, when that 46, okay. when that 46 crashed, uh, my platoon actually went from being more of a DA platoon to back to, back to do an actual urban RNS in, uh, in karma. And we, we basically neutralized that whole area with one platoon of, of recon Marines. Yeah. Karma was a shithole. It was a total shithole. Yeah. They were doing like a hundred, hundred something IDs a week. And within three weeks of us being there, zero. Completely shut it down. Awesome. Yeah. Completely shut it down. Yeah. We, we, we were, uh, um, yeah, we were active, but when was that? Uh, six and seven. Okay. Yeah. It's killing me. I can't yeah. remember the villi- the little village name that we were patrolling in, uh, where that happened, uh, south of Fallujah, um, right across from the Mac. I can't remember. I, I don't. Yeah. yeah, we were, we were where we were going. Either way, yeah. uh, when when we were going in there almost every night, we were yeah. getting into engagements, and yeah, typically, like you said, the ID threat was so high, we we tried not to drive so typically yeah. we would fly in offset and hit the targets we, although go ahead yeah the night i was wounded we flew straight onto the target because the the time delay was a time sensitive target yeah and by the time the mission actually got approved the window was so small we just landed right on the x yeah um yeah i remember man it was that was a wild that was a wild night um shitty night but glad you're still sitting here and you can you share that share all this information with the world. And I was going to say, you know, the, the things about, you know, I guess fucking up or making mistakes is when the light bulb comes on or, or if you give yourself the ability to learn and change and grow, man, it makes it so much sweeter because now you have the experience of both sides. And, you know, you have those lessons. And if you don't have those lessons, it's very hard to under, understand the other side of it. Yeah, I talk to a lot of people about that. I mean, with leadership, you know, we all, you know, I think the best students of leadership, you you look at the great leaders and you look at them and you say, okay, I want to be like them. How do I emulate what they do? How do I learn from them? But you also look at the bad leaders and you say, okay, why are they a bad leader? And what are they doing that makes them a bad leader? And, you know, I have firsthand experience. I was a bad leader at one point, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I, think, I have I personal we, experience I think we on all, those mistakes. I think we all were at some point. I don't think anybody's ever you know, born and infallible. Um, and as we grow in the experience, especially because that lifestyle is so fast, right? Like you don't really have a ton of time to kind of grow into a position. It's like, you're constantly, it's the next deployment, next deployment, next deployment. And, you know, yeah, I think now that, you know, that I think that they do a, a decent job of trying to really invest in, in these young men and, and, you know, but during that time, during our time, it was like deployment, then another deployment and then another deployment. Like we don't have time for anything else. Uh, no. Yeah. 
And I think the other thing, as you well know, I mean, in warfare, especially in special operations units, especially when you're a young, hard charging pipe hitter, you know, you think that, um, well, we have to get into the fight and all of us want to get into the fight. Right. You know, it's part right. of who we are. But as a leader, you start to realize, and especially after you do it for a little while, and it's hard to rein back the the sled dogs or, you know, the, the pipe hitters. Um how do we win this battle or how do we win this engagement without ever even firing a shot if possible? How right. do I minimize the, the risk to my guys? Yeah. And, um, and that's hard because guys want to get into the fight, but at the end of the day, man, if you can kill the enemy without, or take out the enemy without ever having to fire a shot, that's winning. That's battlefield victory. And that's a hard thing to wrap your head around as you get older. Well, it's funny. Cause we've both been there. We've both been on op the, both sides of that coin, right? Where you want to get in oh. a fight. And then there's, yeah. a, there's also, you know, you get a little older, a little bit more mature and you're like, wait a minute, we can kill this guy and I don't have, have to ever leave the fob. Right. You know what I mean? And that's there. So there's, there is a switch there and, and an education piece. And I think that a lot of that comes with experience, right. In time of, of being on teams and learning, you know, how to conduct those kind of operations and, and whatnot. But yeah, if you can kill it, if you can kill a, you know, a negative influencer, um, without ever leaving your chow hall. Why not? You yeah. I mean? Why not? And then all my and all of us go back to our families, right? Amen. Yeah. And that's what I think. That's uh, yeah. We all were those hard chargers. I know I was. Man, I, was I wanted definitely. to get in the fight. I mean, that's why. That's how I ended up making that bad call on that mission in Afghanistan. Man, I wanted to get into the fight. Yeah. Uh. So so you got hurt, and then uh, and um, what was the? How long was your recovery? I mean, I know you've also delved stuff. You know ongoing but how long were you really like before you were back up on your feet um so i mean it was four years and 40 surgeries but um you know probably i was totally out for the first year um that was probably the the most major iterations of the reconstruction yeah um or maybe even i should say the stabilization before we got into, you know, really the, the reconstruction. Um, so, and those surgeries kind of got further and further away over those four years. A lot of that, you well know that, yeah. um, guys have a lot of infection problems. I had a lot of infection problems that created setbacks and things like that. So, um, thought I could still stay operational. So for the first probably two years, that's what I was grinding towards. Um, and unfortunately they were never able to fix my, uh, arm to the point that I could get back. Um, but it, it was good. I still managed to finish my career. Um, I got, I was able to do quite a few things. I, I, I ended up working ops. I ended up working special projects. I ended up working some programs to take care of, um, you know, uh, families and wounded warriors and things like that before I medically retired in 2013. So do you think that, cause you're talking four years of just basically hospitalization essentially did that thing, that switch that we talked about, did that hold in there or did you have, did you, did, did that doubt that self doubt start to creep in or did that warrior spirit that you had when you were younger, did that, did that say like, I'm going to fucking make it through this no matter what, or did that, did that little devil come, come on your shoulder and, and start, you know, making you question your ability to, to, uh, survive? Um, no, you know, the, the overcome mindset and that switch was there, but I mean, you know, you're lying to yourself. If you ever say there were never any doubts, I mean, right. dude, there were doubts, there were hard times. Um, but frequently, um, um, you know, frequently having the ability to drive through that and say, okay, you know, I have been through worse. I have the ability to overcome. I looked at it as uh, medical buds, if you will. Because yeah. Um, yeah, man, multiple surgeries suck. Because right when you start to gain ground again, you're now having to go back under the knife, which now once again, you're not allowed to work out. You're not allowed to do all these things. The things, especially that, mentally, the things that mentally help you, right? The Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. And, and for mine, 
um, you know, for some people, they're like, they don't understand like, oh, well, when I had a surgery, I was able to immediately go and start working out again. But a lot of mine was microvascular connections. We're connecting tiny pieces of tissue and transplanting bone and stuff like yeah. this. So frequently, it was a minimum of a month before I could start putting any strain on my body. Um, you know, but the other thing, Nick, was... Um, I think probably the biggest thing that set me up for success and one of the reasons why I tell so many people, hey, you you need to do hard things. Uh, an overcome mindset just can't be instantly created. Like the more hard things you've been in through in your life uh, or life ambushes, as I call them, the better you're going to be prepared for future obstacles, life ambushes, things like that. And uh, a lot of people wrongly assume, hey, your battlefield injuries, you being all shot up and that ending your career, that's probably the hardest thing you've ever been through. But that, but that's not true. My leadership failure was the hardest thing I ever went through. To have teammates say, we don't want to work with you. You know, we 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 don't trust you. That cuts a that's little deeper. That, I mean, that cuts I, a little I was, deeper. Dude, yeah. Suicide, I was suicidal. I put a gun in my mouth when at the beginning of all that, thinking that I could not like my life was over and I didn't know how to drive forward and fix it. Like yeah. it was too overwhelming to think about. Um, and thankfully I had a, a, one of my great leaders in Ranger school, you know, I remember telling him, Hey, I I've screwed up too, too badly. There's no way I can come back from this. The guys will never follow me again. And he kind of laid the foundation for a lot of what I speak on in leadership and really the formula that I started to follow from that point further in my career. And he said to me, read, Guys will follow you if you give them a reason to. He said, the equation is simple. He said, it doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. If you are successfully crushing it, people are going to follow you because it's human nature. We want to follow people that are successful. We want to follow people that are setting the example. It's just how it is. Um, he said, it may take more time because they're going to have doubts. They're going to be like, that guy screwed up. This is only a temporary thing. So he said, it's going to take time. And he was right. It took two years to build back my reputation, just, just consistent, consistent work. Absolutely. Every day hearing the naysayers and, and, you know, in our community, the guys pull no punches, man. I heard it on a regular basis and I was just like, Hey man, focus on you, focus on leading yourself. That naturally transmits to leading others and lead always, you know, you can't pick and choose, you know, everything you say, everything you do, it will make a difference. And, uh, I'm going to ask you, do. I'm going to ask you about that in a sec, but real quick. So, so talking, I'm going to plug, let's plug this thing right here. Um, so what was the, it was the, all of that, the inspiration to, to write overcome, like, where did that, I mean, you wrote the trident, it's not your first, so it's not, this is not your first book, but where was the, what, what happened or what, what was the thought pro other than just being a Navy SEAL and having to write books? Um, it seems like a requirement. <laughs> it's a requirement. It's a requirement actually. Yeah. When you go through, when you go through buds, there's a written, there's a writing test yeah, Clint, to make sure you have the ability to Clint, write books. Clint Emerson told me that he's like, yeah, you basically get issued a future publisher, you know, when you graduate buds, but, um, part, oh, it's part of the mission brief at the end of the brief. Yeah. During the warning order, it's like, okay, guys. And here in the corner of the room, we have the agent for your book. <laughs> and we also have the, uh, director who's going to direct your movie when things go well. Oh man. <laughs> uh, how awesome would that be if that was true? <laughs> um, but what was what was the thing that happened if there was a thing that's like, hey, I really need to share this story to get people to understand doing hard things and overcoming and, and how that will benefit your life? Like what was the what was the trigger? Yeah, the trigger was so the trident is the story. Right. Uh, so it is the story of my life. And, and there's it's just loaded with leadership. It's a leadership story. It's right. a failure of leadership, redemption, and, and you know, coming to learn you can lead at any level, but it's a story. It doesn't break these leadership lessons out. People obviously just see them. And I kept getting asked, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I'll be honest, in the beginning of my speaking career, after um, the Trident came out, I would often talk about the overcome mindset. I would talk about these different things but it didn't break it down into actionable steps that people could implement in their life. And I'll be honest, I 
don't know if I had truly taken the time to peel back, well, gosh, how did I really do this? So Overcome became a multiple year journey of really digging deep into what had happened and unfolding it and saying, okay, let's look at your journey of the failures and then how did you climb back out? And really that's what happened. Overcome became the how-to. And then when we broke down these into relatable formulas, um, I then went to other special operations leaders um, Jocko being one of them, you know, Bill McRaven, Stan McChrystal, and other wounded warriors and said, hey, this is the formula I put together that helped me. Does this make sense? And do you agree with it? And they all said yes. And that's how they spoke to different parts of those formulas. Um, so now that's where it really is broken down. I mean, overcome is exactly that. It I, is. I think that people sometimes, you know, leaders or people that are trying they we give concepts, but so I watch so many people not do the tangible work, and that, like with me and the and you know with what I do and if I'm working with someone, it's it's everything is about execution and tangible steps, and that's what I like about it is like you did you you told the story, but then you turned it into like this is the thing that you have to do every single day. Yes. So um so on that, can you give me? You know, if, if someone wants to be and you know, I, you know, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but c can you give me like the, the like three, hey, if you want to be successful, do these three things. Absolutely. I mean, we'll break it down into the flow of the book. I mean, yeah, let's do it. So no, number one is you have to get off the X. I mean, you know, especially you look at the world we're living in, we're living America is uh, struggling through a pandemic and it ain't COVID. Right. The pandemic is the victim mindset. Right. This nation is being convinced. We're growing a nation of victims. Everything from the trophy mentality to um, whatever, you name it, and you're a victim because of it. Um, race, creed, color, religion, gender, gender persuasion, I don't care what it is, you're a victim. And we are we have leaders who are convincing people they're victims and they should feel sorry for themselves and and that you shouldn't help yourself because there's no way you can help yourself because you're a victim and you and and we're turning into how do we out victim each other? Um, you know, you you the very fundamental principle of the book is how do you get off the X? And the X is that sticking point. It's the point of crisis. It's whatever lies you've been told, the lies that we convince ourselves inside our head, the doubts we have. Um, the X is all those things. And the formula to get off the X is the same, regardless of, is it an ambush of your mind? Is it an ambush of your schedule? What I call these schedule disruptions, a mini ambush, if you will, or is it a major life ambush? And, and the major life ambushes are the ones that will you know, forever leave leave scars. Um, the, the major life ambushes, they will leave physical, mental, emotional, or deep financial scars, and usually a combination of the above. And uh, you never really fully recover from. Um, you will always feel the pain of major life ambushes. You know, my, my leadership failure was a major life ambush. It always hurts a little bit when I think about it. Um, my battlefield injuries were a major life ambush still struggle mentally and emotionally at times from that. Uh, suffered a major business failure, a huge lawsuit we got into that I talk about and overcome. Still sucks when I think about it. So regardless of what you go through, whether it's the ending of a relationship, whether it's um, maybe a financial or personal failure, whether it's a lawsuit, whether it's uh, personal injury or illness, sexual trauma, loss of a loved one, all these are major life ambushes. The formula to get off the X is the same. You know, you've got to react to overcome and react is an acronym. And um, I don't know if we want to get down into the weeds of how to do that, but the book lays that out step by step. And the good news is it works with a mental ambush when you're just struggling with the demons in your mind. And it works all the way to a major life ambush. Timeline is relative. I try to explain that to people. Um, if you lost a child, probably one of the biggest life ambushes I've seen, that timeline is going to take longer than you just wrestling with the demons in your mind that are telling but, you're not good. Enough. But the work and the steps are the same. The work and the steps is the same. And it is a, it's a very simple format. You quickly lay it out. 
You know, you go through the react methodology and the last step is take action. You execute that plan and you drive forward off that X. That is the single most, I think that is the single most important thing you can do as a leader, because most people, Nick, you well know, especially in this victim world we're living in, people will sit on that X and wither and die. Oh, they, they, bit, they build a tent there. They build a house. There. Uh, oh, yeah. They'll chain, they'll chain themselves yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and, and then what's really weird and crazy in my mind is they get comfortable on the X. This is, it becomes their, their is, they like being there. This is their life now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So after that, you get off the X. Once you get off the X, then we break it down into the individual parts. Uh, number one, you've got to lead yourself. So whether, and you know, the X will come at any point along the journey. We yeah. put that at the beginning because most people, um, most people that are looking for that book or how to the, overcome the, or looking for the immediate, how do I, because they're on the X. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And and you know what's been amazing? I've had so many people write me after reading the book and say, thank you. Like, dude, yeah. I needed that. And what's amazing is, like you said, some people don't even realize they're on the X until somebody convinces them or they get that punch in the face. Yeah. So number two is you got to lead yourself. And this gets into those three rules of leadership that I teach that I, you know, kind of got punched in the face with at Ranger School, the formula I had to follow in order to build back up my my professional and tactical operational reputation. 70% of leadership is your ability to lead yourself. You want to have a successful company. You want to have a successful family. You want to be in shape. All these things come down to rule number one. How do you lead yourself? How do you build structure and discipline and goal setting and goal accomplishment into your life? And it doesn't have to be huge. That's the problem with most people. They're looking, I want to be a millionaire overnight. Well, guess what? Why don't you start making 500 bucks, you know? And, and once you make 500 bucks, how do you make it 600 and 700 and 800, 900, 1,000? And then you build yourself up to a million. But guess what? It starts with you. No one else is going to come along and get you off that X. You have to do it. You have to build that framework within your life. If you do that now, because most people, when they think about leadership, as you well know, they think about leadership as, oh, it's my ability to lead others. When I come into companies and I do workshops or, um, you know, starting now to get into executive coaching, frequently right off the bat, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Jay, I'm having a problem in my company or I'm, I'm having a problem with my team. This is what's going on. And my very first question is always, okay, well, right on. Well, how well are you leading yourself? And if they say to me, no, 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 I'm not talking about me. I'm, I'm talking about my team. I'm having a problem with my team. I'm like, okay, there's the problem. Our ability to motivate and inspire starts with us. So once again, 70% of leadership is rule number one. Rule number two gets into how do we now build structure and guidance into the lives of those we're leading? How do we build a good culture? How do we build a good team? And building a good team has a lot to do with one, you already are setting the example, rule number, rule number one. Rule number two, how do we educate them? How do we provide them the right resources? How do we provide them the tools they need to execute? And then, big one, how do we then trust them to go out and execute? We're not micromanaging the shit out of them where they're now starting to question and they don't want to be a part of this team because every step they take, you're questioning. How do you get everybody to be you know, moving in the same direction? How do you hold them accountable? Guess what? If we say there are right and left limits, if they're stepping outside those limits, if you're not holding them accountable, then it's going to start to create uh, animosity within the group, which is once again, going to be breaking down the integrity of your team and you're not effectively leading others. And then rule number three, how do you lead always? Um, you know, you can't pick and choose when you're going to lead. I made that mistake as a young leader. Um, you've got to lead rain, sun, shine, storms, uh, whether you're on duty or off duty, in my opinion, you can't be a great business leader and your family's a fucking train wreck. Because in my opinion, that impacts your credibility as a leader. We've got to have balance as a leader and you've got to lead always. You've got to try and do everything you can to be positive, uh, positivity in the face of negativity, driving forward and continuing to uh, you know, push people forward regardless of the situation. 
Excellent. So let's talk about, so that kind of leads me into the doing hard things. Um, you know, I'm sure you get a ton of messages from young men going, how do I train my mentality for buds? How do I, cause we can do the physical stuff we can do, right? You can, you can, and you and I have both seen physical specimens and studs just ring that bell. You know, and usually they're the first ones to ring the bell. To ring that bell. Usually the biggest mouths uh, <laughs> yeah. ring that bell. Um, yeah, and uh, so, so, and I'm I'm sure you get the same messages that I do. Is like, how do I train for that mentality? How do I have that you know that overcome mentality? Um, what do you tell them? I, I tell them do hard things, but it's beyond just physical. I think it's doing things that get you out of your comfort zone. Uh, I think there's a lot of young men out there that fail to appreciate that um, uh, brain power. Academic abilities is a is a large part of being a SEAL or being special operations. Right. That um, when we're young, you know, we think every you know we think we're a hammer and everything's a nail. When the reality is, um, oftentimes some of the hardest decisions are not when to act, it's when not to act. Um, So doing things like that, like challenging yourself by pushing yourself academically, challenging yourself by if you're afraid of public speaking, you know, the number one fear that's out there. Well, guess what? Go speak. If you're afraid of heights, go climb. Do things that are going to get you out of your comfort zone. Those are the things that are going to build a overcome mindset and enable you to endure discomfort. That's right. And uh, it's hard for people to understand that. It's like that's if you want to become mentally resilient, you have to live on the fringe of your comfort zone. You can't be in the center of it. You have to constantly be pushing that bubble outside. And that is what's going to make you, you know, mentally resilient. So when things get hard, you're like, I've been here. I know what this feels like, this stress, this, this, uh, you know, whatever that, that wall is. Um, I, I've been on pain, this wall. the discomfort, yeah. the doubt, all those yeah. things that are there that most people will quit because yeah. they tell themselves, well, I can't do this because I'm uncomfortable because I don't know if I have the ability because I'm too small or too big or too fat or, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, but if you live there and you're like, I felt this before. I felt this on this challenge. I felt it on that challenge. I felt it when I did this. Um, so I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to push. I'm going to keep pushing until I can't push anymore. Yeah. That's it. Um, and then if I break, I'm going to recover and I'm going to get up and keep going. Then we keep going. Yeah. It's, it, it, the cycle starts over again. And, you know, I, I mean, Jason, how old are you? I just turned 47 yesterday. 47. And, uh, and I, I, I'm 40. And I'm still, and I know you are too, I'm still finding challenges to push myself. After all the to. things that I've done, after all the things that you've done, we're still figuring out, okay, what can I do now at my age that's going to push me outside of my comfort zone? Because if you're not growing, you're dying. I, I, I'm doing it right now. And I'm always looking to do it. And it's funny. My wife uh, doesn't understand us, and that's fine. <laughs> Um, my wife, my wife doesn't understand either, but she now, she knows that she knows me and she knows that I, I need these things. So every, exactly. We have to do them. I have to do them. Um, I got asked to do this Navy SEAL swim in New York on, uh, on August 6th. Yeah. And I, I hate swimming. I hate swimming. I have no kidding. I have not swam. I, I, I did a video recently where I said nine years, but I calculated that from the time I retired. But then I really started thinking about it. I haven't swam since I've been wounded. 2007. So yeah. 15 years, I have not really swam. But it's for a great cause. It's yeah, on yeah, yeah. August 6th, the day that Extortion 17 happened. I know I'm going to have to train hard and I'm training for it. Uh, and it's good. It's going gonna, it's gonna to suck. And that's good for you. That builds an overcome mindset. But there's going to be a bunch of like-minded. It's, it's a huge event, right? There's like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people there that come out to do it. And it's just it's a bunch of Navy SEALs, but it's also it's a bunch of veterans and a lot of people that are Yeah, patriotic support. supporters. Yeah. It's going to be a great event. I'm excited yeah. for it. Uh, what's the name of that? It is the GI Go uh, New York Navy SEAL Swim. Um, you know, I, I have a fundraiser. I'm trying to raise $25,000 for GI Go. So, uh, yeah, we'll put the link. Any, in, we'll put the link in the show. Yeah, now. I'll send it to yeah. you. I would appreciate that. Yeah, excellent. So, if you're in that area, there's a lot of people. There's, I know there's people coming from California to go do that. 
Um, our boy Ray will be there, you know, showing off his, his, uh, he can't, he can't be there this year. What? Yeah. He won't be there this year. Oh, so me man. and Will Brannon, uh, and then, so, you know, so all you're the other you guys are carrying Mitch the flag. Aguiar actually will be there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it'll be great. Uh, Will is speaking with us at the Roger up event yeah. coming up here in uh, September. So we're good. We'll find a challenge. So th let's, let's, let's talk about the Roger up event. So, uh, what was the, um, yeah, what what made you guys think to come up with that idea and, and to do that? So Brett Magnuson's an Army veteran. He's a guy that I've been, you know, working with and trying to help over the years. And he's a like-minded individual. He wants to push himself. He wants to be be better in all aspects of his life, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, professionally. And uh, in the army, one day he was doing a long rock comp and he was kind of struggling and his sergeant major or platoon sergeant came along and said, hey, army, you better roger up. Let's go. And he buckled down and made it through. And that that saying seared into his mind. And uh, he wrote a book that I wrote the forward for. And obviously, I think all of us have different slogans or expressions on how we drive forward and crush it. But Roger Up became that expression for Brent. And he came to me and he said, hey, man, I've got an idea. I'd love to do this event on how we help people Roger Up in their lives. Because, you know, we've got enough people out there who are stuck on that X, who are feeling sorry for themselves, who want to be better, but they don't know how to do it. And uh, Brent wanted to blend together professional development, leadership, overcome mindset, uh, and of course, jujitsu. So physical pushing, because he's a big jujitsu guy, and said, let's put this into one event. And I loved it. I said, hey, man, I don't get an opportunity that often to um, frequently, most of the time I get hired by law enforcement buyer or companies and they are not open to the public. And I'm always having people ask me, Hey, when can I come to one of your right. events? Right. Well, guess what? You now have the opportunity September 1st through 3rd in Chicago. Um, amazing event. We got incredible speakers like myself and you, Nick, yeah. uh, you and I are both doing mastermind dinners. Right. So for those out there who want there's, some one-on-one -on -one time with there, me or Nick, there's 20, there's 25 spots per dinner, right? Correct. So 25 yeah. for me, 25 for you. Yep. So definitely a very limited, intimate, uh, environment. Actually, I just flew back from Chicago Saturday up there with Brent. We recorded a bunch of, uh, content that we'll be putting out. And we also, I saw the hotel's great. Uh, I, I saw where we're having the event. I saw the jujitsu room uh, and also where we're doing the masterminds. But yeah, if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for a program to get out of your comfort zone, we were just talking about that. How do you build it? This is going to be a good event for that. Uh, Will and I are going to be doing some PT on Friday and Saturday morning. It's not we're not going to wreck you. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not coming to seal. I'm not coming to seal PT. That's yeah. That's what everybody says. Like, listen, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not like that. As a matter of fact, I'm actually, we're going to have uh day one is going to be a little bit of a tiered program. So yeah. you'll decide, Hey, you know, I'm a beginner. Great. Guess what? You just being there is building an overcome mindset. That's right. That's right. And then day two, we're going to do some teamwork exercise. We're going to have fun. And then, of course, every night we're having jujitsu and we're really hoping people who have never done jujitsu will come out. I mean, you've got amazing coaches, Sifu Allen Baker, Luis Claudio, yeah. who is one of you know the top um, uh, trained under the Gracie's yeah. jujitsu practitioners. So uh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and you're talking uh, about, go to Roger, you're talking Roger about getting, You're talking about getting out of your comfort zone, man. The, uh, the jujitsu is one of those things that people... You know, you and I, our guys kind of, we get used to that uh, closeness with individuals and like having to like manhandle people and people manhandling us. And um, for the regular regular civilian, they never get touched. They never get their hands oh. put on them. You know what I mean? So to have that, that is super uncomfortable to have somebody in your personal space like that. But that's one of those things that we were talking about, being uncomfortable. And that will make you so more confident and i get young men hit me up like how do i become more confident well first be uh, not be fat you know that's 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 step one that will make you feel better if you put muscle on you get lean you know eat better exercise that sort of thing and then after that uh some sort of martial arts muay thai kickboxing jujitsu that right there now i'm not saying that that's going to make you want to go get in fights that's not what i'm talking about but it's 
it's the way that you look at yourself. Like I am used to, to, you know, grabbing another human being and throwing them around all, you know, all over the, the ground while they're trying to choke me out and I'm trying to kill them and they're trying to kill me. And then we hug afterwards. Yeah. But, but walking around in your daily life that, that you get, that carries with you that I'm comfortable with someone putting their hands on me. And most people, that is the most scariest thing that they could think about. Um, yeah. So there you go. So this, this event is not only going to be um, some amazing speakers and some information and, and, and ammo to put in your gun to go through life, but it's also, um, you know, the mastermind dinners that you're going to, I mean, that's just talking about value, man. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. We got breakout sessions. I yeah. mean, we, we've got everybody from, you know, emotional leadership to, um, you know, you and I talking about resiliency and leadership, yeah. Brent talking about his Roger up, you know, morning programs, uh, Sifu Allen Baker. And, um, you know, you've got some of the top defense, uh, um, personal security defense guys, um, that are going to be there. So yeah, it's going to be a great program. And yeah, if you're looking to, it really is. If you're looking to get outside of your comfort zone, you should come to this event. Roger so, up. Let's go. So what, so so where can people find you? What do you got going on? What's what's next for uh, for Mr. Redmond? They can find me at jasonredmond.com. And from there, you know, my biggest thing right now is uh, is I'm speaking like wildfire. Uh, but I also, you know, it's funny. You talked about most people have never been physically touched. Last year or earlier this year, I ran my first uh, Overcome and Survive workshop. And I taught marksmanship and survival when I was a SEAL instructor. And I can't tell you how many people I meet who, A, will tell me they have a gun, but they're afraid of it, that they don't keep it loaded and, you know, all this other BS. Or two, tell me that they know nothing about survival. Uh, and really, basic levels of survival are not difficult. Um, or not only that, they know nothing about basic first aid. So we put together a workshop to basically train those individual individuals, which once again, comes back to self-leadership, mm -hmm. comes back to balance, comes back to that overcome mindset. So we're running our uh, second overcome and survive workshop uh, in September. And, uh, and those are the things that I'm focused on. I wanna, I'm doing executive coaching. So working with companies on leadership balance uh, on the rules that we talk about and overcome. Uh, talking to individuals about leadership and resilience. And then, of course, you know, doing some of this individualized training. Uh, it's not advanced training. If you're looking for advanced level shooting, house clearing, stuff like that, there's a lot of guys out there that are doing that. Great guys like my teammates, DJ and Cole, who are running GBRS. They're probably one of the top programs I Absolutely, see out there yeah. right now. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. But for me, uh, I just want to train the average ordinary American, like, Hey, if someone touched me, I have a little bit of confidence to be able to eat, get them off me, create space, decide if I need to engage, hopefully more, more importantly, learn how to avoid those situations or deconflict those situations or God forbid, if something bad happened, how do I survive for a period of time? If the world is burning down around me, all that comes back to leadership and an overcome mindset. So not being a victim. Not allowing yourself not, to, to come full circle to when we started, not being a victim. Yeah. Be a victor, yeah. not a victim. Excellent. Yep. Well, uh, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. I, I am stoked to, to work with you at, uh, at, at Roger Up uh, in September 1st through 3rd. The links are below. Um, guys, go follow Jason. He shares a lot of good information. He does a lot of good lives. Um, check out Overcome. And uh, guys, this is, I mean, there's not many chances you get a guy like this to share some tidbits of information of how you can better your life. Uh, so please uh, screenshot this, tag him, tag me, we'll share it out. And uh, people need to hear this message. And you guys know the deal. Always forward and we'll see you guys in the next episode.